everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Jesus had this methodology to how he helped people grow in their relationship with God. He would say, come and follow me, and people would. Or he'd connect with someone, ask questions, challenge assertions they made, and then leave them with time to process before reconnecting. And he would do life with individuals day in and day out. This time involved a lot of questions and a few, although not many, answers and a constant presence as he walked with individuals. This is a process we call discipleship. The process of doing life with someone with the intent of knowing God deeper. It's different from teaching. It's different from attending church. Heck, it's different from being in a small group. It's a matter of intentional growth and learning as a follower of Jesus, or even as someone checking out the claims of Jesus. And it's what we're going to talk about today, the life of discipleship, and what it looks like as we continue to grow in our faith. Good morning. Welcome to Discovery Church. My name is Jacob. I'm the pastor of Next Gen and Adult Discipleship here at Discovery. Uh, thanks for joining us, whether you're in person or online. Uh, we are jumping into week two of our new series, Further Up and Further In, a series focused on a person's spiritual growth and development over the course of a lifetime. And today we're talking about discipleship and the power of association. Whether you're checking out what faith is, have been walking in faith for the majority of your life, and have a pretty good handle on where you're going, or you're currently growing in your faith and looking for what's next, this series is aimed at hitting people from all walks of faith. The series title, Further Up and Further In, comes from C.S. Lewis's book, The Last Battle, where upon experiencing a new Narnia, the phrase further up and further in is used over and over again as people travel into this new land and see what God has created for them. Each time they arrive somewhere, they go further up and further in to see what else God has made for them. If you want a beautiful example of what heaven might look like, and a great analogy for where we're going in the next six weeks, you can't do better than that book. Further up and further in, a motto of spiritual growth. Last week, one of our elders, Jen Diebel, kicked off our series on stages of faith development over the course of someone's life. She gave an overview of everything we'll be covering in this series, and if you weren't here last week, I highly encourage you to go back and watch it. It was a beautiful message and also highlights a powerful person in our community, and I'm honored to try and follow up with what she brought last week. Jen took this lofty concept and made it remarkably simple through her use of analogies and visuals, and you're missing out if you haven't seen it. With all of that, I'm going to start out today by referencing a few things she talked about last week. She introduced a few goals of the process as well as a place in Scripture that goes along with this. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians 4, 11 through 15, and we'll be there in a second. Uh, but first, I'm going to throw up the slide on the goals of the series. First, clarify where we are in our faith journeys. Understand why Christ followers at different stages might seem so different from one another, and better love people at various stages right where they are, walking with them as they mature. If you've been doing faith, if you've been doing church for a while, uh, you may notice that we don't all approach God the same way. So one of the goals of, this, the goals of these series 
uh, are to take a look at how others approach God um, and recognize that they may be in a different place than us. Uh, And sometimes there's a lot to learn there. Uh, Sometimes there's a lot of maturity to show in walking with them as they continue to grow. But this series is about recognizing where we are and where we're going. I added on another goal that I personally have for the series as well, which is this. If you're new here, if you're new to faith, I want you to understand a little bit about the faith process. Um, What does faith even look like? Uh, Coming to a church on a Sunday morning, you might think it looks like reading the Bible, pray, serve, give, see you next Sunday. Or is there more to it? That's what this series seeks to uncover. What does a person's spiritual journey look like over the course of a lifetime? And it all comes back to Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. If not, it'll be up on the screen. God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature to personhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. The Bible gives these analogies over and over again about growing in faith. It uses terms like children and mature, milk and meat to describe what it looks like to grow in faith. The end goal, to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. Not to be swayed every time a new teaching comes along, a new pastor gets on a soapbox, a new book comes out to challenge what you believe. Not to be changed every time someone brings up a new idea, but to have a path set before you that you move through in a pursuit of a deeper and deeper relationship with God. And that path is windy. It doubles back. It circles the mountain rather than going straight to the top, but ultimately, that path leads further up and further in as we continue to mature in our faith. Last week, we were shown a slide on the research done by a man named James Fowler as he examined spiritual growth among Christians, atheists, Jewish people, and he put together stages he saw in spiritual growth. Throughout this series, we'll be referencing his work along with the work of Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulich on their stages of faith development. Uh, These people didn't create these stages, but rather they observed them as they met with, studied, and talked with people. Uh, We'll throw the slide up on the screen. Um, As we go through this series, we'll be discussing different stages of spiritual growth and development each week. And today we're focusing on stage two and into stage three. The orange, yellow, and light green which you can see makes up a significant portion of the graphs for churches. The stages we're talking about today make up what we're going to call the life of discipleship and the power of association. In other words, what does discipleship look like? How do you experience it? What does it entail? And what does association to a place like Discovery Church even mean? And ultimately, what does God have to say about all this? With that, let's dive into stage two, the life of discipleship, the power of association, or as I'll put it today, where do I belong, how do I fit in, and how do I grow? For this topic and stage, I think the best way to talk about it 
is to just tell stories about Jesus and how he did things. Um, toward that end, we're going to start with John 1, 14 through 15 in the message translation, because I love how it describes the coming of Jesus. We're going to see what it says about the coming of Jesus. John 1, 14 through 15 in the message. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, that one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. John pointed him out and called, this is the one, the one I told you was coming after me, but in fact was ahead of me. He's always been ahead of me. He's always had the first word. Jesus moved into the neighborhood and started what we call incarnational ministry. In other words, ministry in the flesh. He came to people and he did life with them. No longer was God just some unassailable force in heaven. No, this was God in the flesh moving among us, moving into the neighborhood. And it wasn't just a God who was content to sit in a temple, read the Bible aloud, and allow people to worship him, although there were times that was part of it. No, this God took to the road. He picked up followers and he began doing life with them. He spent the beginning of his earthly ministry collecting close followers, and there were different types. The first were those he called and invited by name. He walked up and said things like, Hey, Peter and Andrew, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He said, Hey, Matthew, step away from your booth and follow me. Hey, Judas, leave your life behind and come after me. And eventually, Jesus accumulated 12 men who followed him around for about three years. They learned together, they asked questions, they did life together, and ultimately, they picked up every scrap of knowledge, wisdom, and teaching that Jesus dropped. Uh, And some of it stuck, and oftentimes, much of it didn't. These disciples, they were just normal guys. They weren't the cream of the crop. They weren't the most pious or holy people in the world No, these were just normal people working blue-collar and white-collar jobs who were invited by the God of the universe into life-on-life relationship. And these disciples began learning at breakneck speed with the literal God of the universe and doing the best they could. They were all Jewish, which implied a decent understanding of the foundation of what Jesus was talking about. They had some shared and common knowledge, although foundation is the operative term here because oftentimes they were confused and befuddled by where Jesus was leading them. Some of it was old ground. They'd learned it growing up. They'd heard some of these stories before. Uh, They knew some of the rules. But oftentimes Jesus challenged their assumptions, challenged their assertions, and led them into a new way of thinking and knowing God. And we call this discipleship life-on-life spiritual development, walking with someone, learning from someone, asking questions, giving answers, and ultimately pointing more and more toward God. After this, we had another set of followers, those Jesus was close to, but who we don't see in the 12. We had Mary, Mary, and Mary. Those are all different people. We had Martha, Nicodemus, and a handful of people who followed Jesus around did their own things at other times, but who were committed to learning from Jesus. We see beautiful interactions spread all throughout the Gospels between Jesus and these people. We see direct interaction, one-on-one discipleship, and true relationships. These people were learning from Jesus. They were following Jesus, and they were growing in their relationship with God. Then we had the crowds. Jesus had crowds everywhere he went. 
Those who loved seeing Jesus stick it to the religious leaders and the Romans, and they loved the show that Jesus put on, or the people who were just dipping their toes in to check things out. Um, I imagine they thought things like this, um, and this may resonate with some of us. Follow Jesus for the rest of my life? Give up everything I know? Um, no thanks. Or maybe? Or yes? I'm, I'm not sure. How would I listen a little, avoid his gaze, and maybe check out his claims before I'm all in? Why don't I try that first? I'll come to a few things, I'll skip a few others, and I'll be a part of the crowd. I'll be one of those people who can say, did you see when Jesus did that? Or were you there when he performed that miracle? There would have been a sense of community and connection, but still anonymity as they were hidden in the crowd. Ultimately, as we look at this stage of spiritual development, our first question is this. If you're entering this stage, or if you're right up to the stage, or if you're figuring out this stage, are you in the crowd, or are you in the community? Are you dipping your toes in and watching what it looks like, making sure it's safe before you jump in? Um, are you showing up and hearing a morn message on a Sunday morning and sneaking out quickly before the pastor can talk to you? Are you perusing the website to see if you fit? None of which are a bad way to start necessarily. Or are you doing life directly with someone who is asking questions and pointing toward God as they walk with you? Are you pursuing a life of discipleship? Um, if you're in this phase of spiritual development, let me tell you, it doesn't just happen. It's not just about learning your way through it. It's not just about knowing or saying the right things. There's probably some of that. But the majority happens walking alongside others and doing life together. Um, at least that's what it looks like when I watch the model of Jesus. Because uh, if you identify with being in stage two or three of spiritual development, the life of discipleship, the power of association, then this is the pathway for you. And if you're past this stage conceptually, what does that look like? As we're talking about the stage two or three of this life of discipleship, there are probably many in this group who remember this stage fondly or unfondly as they continue to grow in their faith. My request is that you celebrate with those who are here, remember what it was like, and love those who are at this stage. Also, an important disclaimer is this. As we go through these stages of spiritual development, um, we never fully graduate from a stage. It isn't like one day you understand discipleship and think, well, that's the last time I'll ever walk with someone as I grow in my faith. No, it just begins to look different, and we'll talk more and more about that in coming weeks as we continue to examine this idea. And maybe you're here today, and you're in the group that isn't quite there yet. Maybe you're dipping your toe into faith, you're checking things out, you're figuring out if you even want to be a part of this. Um, no problem. Love that you're here today. Um, take some time to evaluate what we're saying, and look forward to something amazing coming down the road. And if you're unsure about faith, faith development, or even this person of Jesus, then this next part is going to show you a lot, because most of the model of how we do discipleship we take from the person of Jesus. Let me give you a few examples of what this discipleship model looked like for the people who followed Jesus and see what we can take away today. Let's tell some stories. Uh, the first one is pretty popular and, and, and pretty easy story. A lot of people know. Um, it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. This story is found in all four Gospels, and it's a story of Jesus feeding a massive group of people. 
In the Gospel of John, this is found in John 6, 1 through 15. It starts with Jesus coming from a time of solitude and finding thousands of people waiting to hear what he has to say. Uh, A crowd of people, if you will. In verse 5, we see an interesting interaction between Jesus and his disciples. If you have a Bible, we're going to take a look at John 6, 5 through 9. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy the bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one just to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? After this, Jesus took the food provided, blessed it, and asked his disciples to begin handing it out. When they were done, they were left with an overabundance of food, and they were even able to pick up leftovers. A miracle. Jesus multiplies the fish and loaves. What I love most about this interaction comes from verse 6 in his conversation with Philip. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. This is how Jesus operated. He asked questions, and he often didn't give answers as he challenged his disciples about their ways of thinking. It's interesting because these disciples are standing next to the literal Son of God. They've been following, and as he asks what they should do, their answer has nothing to do with any spiritual side of things. In fact, in some of the other Gospels, they tell Jesus that he should send these people home to get food and then have them come back. Or or how can we raise enough money to have this food? But Jesus all along had a miraculous plan. He wanted to challenge his people to think differently or at least think through it at all. This is discipleship. It's a process by which you walk with somebody who's a little bit ahead of you in faith and development who asks you to think about your faith. A person who asks you to think through ramifications or ask questions or acknowledge where God shows up. Usually, it's because they've walked that path first and they know some of what it looks like. Another story that paints some of the picture can be found in Matthew 16, 13 through 18. If you have a Bible, we'll be there in just a second. Um, Jesus asks his disciples who people know him to be. Yet another time, Jesus asks a question, not because he needs the answer, um, but because his disciples need the question. Matthew 16, 13 through 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Again, we have another situation with Jesus asking questions. Who do people say I am? The disciples give a number of answers and he follows up. But who do you say I am? You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus commends him because this isn't something he knew. It isn't something he learned. It was something that developed because of his relationship with God. This is how Jesus operated. He asked people questions, he dove into the heart of things, and he challenged people on what they really believed, on what they knew. Because the question is often just as important as the answer. 
I would imagine that as I tell these two stories, there are more than a few people in this room who can think about a person who discipled you in your life or is currently discipling you or someone you reach out to in the good or in the bad. I can imagine that some of you can remember times that there was a person in your life who just kept asking questions and wouldn't give all the answers as they caused you to think through your relationship with God, your beliefs about God and where they come from. If that's you, and you can remember those people who walked with you, gosh, can you imagine where you'd be without them? It's the life of discipleship. Peter and Andrew would have kept on fishing. Matthew would have kept on tax collecting. Simon the Zealot would have kept on zealoting. Instead, because Jesus chose to come alongside them and ask questions and point them to truth, well, if you keep reading past this point, you get to see what they grow into, and it's pretty remarkable. So if you're in the room today, and you're interested in stepping into a life of discipleship, this is not something you've experienced or you don't know where to go with this. If you find yourself in this stage two or stage three of spiritual development, what does that even look like? What does it look like having someone walk with you who asks questions, who says, follow me as I follow Jesus, and continues to point you toward Jesus as you grow in your faith? Um, What does the day-to-day look like? I wish there was a manual or a playbook or a set of questions to think about and ruminate on that we all know that could help you move through this phase of spiritual growth, Um, but it just doesn't work that way. It seems to work best in life-on-life discipleship. In fact, there's a wonderful story in the book of Mark as we watch Jesus' followers realize the same thing. Mark 9, 14 through 29 has this fascinating and heart-wrenching story. Jesus comes and finds his disciples along with a crowd of people and teachers of the law arguing amongst themselves. As Jesus gets there, a father runs toward him with a son who is demon-possessed. He shares a story about how his son from an early age has tried to take his own life due to the demon inside of him who has been this way since he was born. Jesus calls the man to faith, and the man says he believes. Jesus heals the boy and casts the demon out, and as he leaves, we see this small snippet of conversation between Jesus and his disciples, people who have been walking with God, people who have been learning all about faith, and we see it in Mark 9, 28 through 29. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come about by prayer. Jesus' disciples, the people who had walked with him, learned from him, and grown in their faith as they were mentored and discipled by the Son of God, came across a situation that didn't fit in their playbook. They did what they thought was right. They tried to heal someone in the name of God, and it did not work. Because it's more than just having a playbook. It's about walking with someone who's been where you are or sees the road ahead and does life with you. Uh, And there's definitely a larger discussion to have here about demon possession and healing, but that's for another day. That has nothing to do with this sermon. Ultimately, the thing I want us to recognize here is the faithfulness and deep-hearted attempts of the disciples and the gentle teaching of Jesus as he uses this as another opportunity for them to learn more about their relationship with God. Because it isn't always easy And it doesn't always make sense based on what you know and who you are. And there are dozens of other stories I could share. Jesus asked something like 300 plus questions during his time on earth and only directly answered a handful. He seemed more interested in getting people to think for themselves, to process what he was saying, and to learn about faith. Uh, He wasn't as interested in just imparting knowledge. Um, There are books and podcasts and such for that, right? 
No, he was interested in a deepening faith, which required processing, thought, deepening understanding, trying, failing, succeeding, and learning further up and further in. The process that Jesus was going through with his disciples was one of teacher to student, but more than that, it was incarnational, life on life. I walk with you, you walk with me. We eat together, we breathe together, we chat together, and ultimately we grow together. Sometimes you ask questions and I give answers. Oftentimes I ask questions without giving answers. And as those questions continue to mount and grow, we see a deepening, growing faith, the life of discipleship. If you're in this phase, stage two or three, if you're interested in this concept of discipleship, if this is something you've never experienced before, or have sort of experienced, um, or aren't sure where to go. Um, And according to that graph we showed at the beginning, this accounts for roughly 25% of our church, potentially. Um, I have to tell you that getting through this stage won't just happen um, if you just show up. Um, You need to move into it. Uh, You need to be an active participant. Uh, We hear a lot about the 12 disciples when we read the Gospels. Um, You know who we don't hear much about? the individuals in the crowd. Jesus taught them, they learned from him, and they were blessed by him, but the disciples actually walked with him. If you're in this stage or you're just dipping your toes, who are you doing life with? Who are you walking with? Who are you with that's asking 300 questions? Um, If you're in this stage, I would posit that the most important next step is to seek a discipleship relationship. If you're dipping your toe in the stage and just attending on a Sunday morning, just popping in every once in a while, I can imagine that's the reason that so many people get stuck here. As Jen pointed out, that one in four people get stuck in this stage and never move on, a lot of that is because as we build our community and we find our people and we find our connection, we find our church, we find our place where we belong, it can be easy to become closed off or have an us-versus-them mentality. In this phase of growth, we need belonging, learning, security, community, connection, motivation, tools, resources. And if we get those things, this can be such a fun stage of development where we grow exponentially in our understanding and faith in God. But those same things can make us stuck. When we grow too rigid or comfortable and assume that we know the only answers— it can easily lead to that us-versus-them mentality. We circle the wagons, we do things our way, and the people who do it differently must be wrong. Or we bounce from church to church, community to community, connection to connection, until we find people who think exactly like us. And I'll tell you, anyone who has walked in faith for a long time will tell you there is a mystery to faith, a mystery to relationship with God that many of us are constantly trying to understand. And the more we learn about Him, And the deeper we go, the more we realize just how much we don't understand. If you find yourself stuck, rigid, or completely black and white with no room for discussion on some of these things, it may be time for some self-evaluation. And as we start to think about association and community, when you call yourself a Christian, you have a connection to what I'll call the Big C Church a group of billions of people who are theoretically moving the same way you are. Um, Catholic and Protestant um, that both begin to trickle down into all of these different denominations and splits. 
and eventually ends up right here in Broomfield, Colorado at Discovery Church. This becomes a community of people here in Broomfield, Colorado who are pursuing God together, except if community and association only exist for you on a Sunday morning um, or when you pop in, I've got to tell you it's a miss. Um, You found some of your people, um, but I would posit that you haven't found your community yet Um, because community happens in the lobby and outside our walls and throughout the week, which is terrifying since most of us are busy all the time. When I was a youth pastor, uh, I remember coming to the end of a budget season um, and taking a look at our budget. Uh, We found this one area that was incredibly bloated, um, and it was our transportation costs with our retreats. When we would go to retreats, we would rent these big buses to go to and from camp together. And as we did the math, we realized it would be far cheaper just to get a bunch of people to drive cars to take all of our students rather than rent these buses. Um, Would save us thousands of dollars. And as we were evaluating what to cut, the obvious question arose, should we cut our transportation costs and stop renting buses to try a more cost-effective method? And as my boss and I discussed it, I found myself pushing back as I was able to articulate that the two hours driving home from camp together is sometimes more important than the camp itself. Um, There are conversations I've had on those buses coming back from camp that I think have had a longer impact than some of the camps we did with students over the years. And, And I think if you were to ask the disciples, if you got a chance to talk to them, hey, what were your biggest moments with Jesus? Uh, What were the times you learned the most? I bet they would say things like, hey, this one time he walked on water and it was crazy and I got to see the power of God. Or one time there was this man who was lame and Jesus just pointed and said, get up and walk. And he just got up and walked and it was amazing. And I understood the power of God. Uh, These big, amazing moments, but I would guess that actually the majority of the discipleship Jesus did with his followers we actually don't necessarily see in Scripture, because I'm betting it happened on the roads between towns, Um, or the meals where they sat down and talked. Um, It happened in the life-on-life moment, Um, this life of discipleship, is they just did life together and got to see who they were. Who are you doing life with? Uh, I'm going to invite the band back up, and as I do, Um, If you're in this stage and you're looking to grow, here's what I have for you. Uh, The best step you can take is to get into a discipleship relationship with someone in the church. Uh, If you have relationships, if you're super outgoing, just go find someone in the lobby and ask them. They may say no, but you can do that. You can tell them I gave you permission. Um, If not, um, on these tables in the back by the black boxes, I have some papers. Um, You can simply put your name, email address, and phone number on the paper, throw it in one of the black boxes, and I'll reach out to you this week and connect you with someone. Uh, And if too many people turn these papers in and I don't have enough people to connect you with, I'll just shamelessly get up on stage and tell everyone that, and I will get you connected. Because all of us know that if someone hadn't come along and discipled us, um, those of us who have gone through some of this process, uh, we can't imagine where we'd be today. Next week, we're going to jump into the next stage of spiritual development, which I'm excited for because I know it's going to hit many of you differently than this week, as each week is aimed at different walks in the Christian life. Um, I'm excited. Hope to see you back here. Let's pray. Hey, God, it's Jake. 
God, thank you for uh, the people who walked with me. Uh, thank you for the people who asked, asked a lot of questions and still ask a lot of questions. God, thank you for the people you've allowed me to walk with. And God, I pray for anyone in this stage today, Lord, um, that they would have the courage to step out of the crowd and into the community. Um, that they could find their people, um, their person, who could help walk with them and point them to a deeper and fuller relationship with you. God, thank you. It's in your name. Amen.